0: Hey, thanks for stopping in to listen to my latest sermon, I'm glad you have. Before this one plays, I want to give a little warning. We filmed and recorded this sermon on location. Because of this, the audio won't be nearly as good as it normally is. We did our best to clean it up, but you'll still hear some traffic and wind. Now you know why. We filmed on location in part to create a visual illustration. So if you'd rather watch this sermon, please visit our YouTube page, which you can find at youtube.com slash Creekside2. As always, we would love to know if God worked in your life through this sermon. If he has, please let us know by emailing respond at creekside.me. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for Jesus. Hey everyone, if you've been around for this series, then you're not surprised that you're seeing a recording, but this is your first time here during this current sermon series called His on the church in the book of Ephesians, then you may wonder why you're seeing a recording and not a pastor in person. Uh, The real reason is that I and my wife are about to have our second baby and I want to be able to take time off after the baby is born. We're also recording these sermons in different locations because hopefully they are serving as visual illustrations of exactly what the church should be according to the book of Ephesians and perhaps And sadly, what the church is sometimes. But today, I'm not standing at a church building. Instead, I am out on our church's property. As I stand here, I think about the future of our church. And I come out here at least once a week and, usually inspired by how beautiful a place this is, But really, what makes this place so magical to me, so spiritual to me, is thinking about what will be here someday, what the future holds. When I think about the future of our church, it is important, I believe, for me as the leader of our church, hopefully for all of you, to think really about what we want that future to be, And that begs this question. What is the purpose of our church? Why does Creekside Bible Church exist? And that begs an even more important, what is really the purpose of church in general? In the past at our church, we've had a couple of vision statements. One, loving God and loving others. And then after I took over, we just kind of had this tagline that, pointed to a series of actions that we wanted people to take believe gather connect serve and those uh, are seen just about everywhere at our church if you look at the blue bins in front of you or below you that I'll allude to later uh, you would see that tagline believe gather connect serve but I don't believe as I stand here today that either of those things loving God and loving others, nor a series of actions that we think people should take, really get to the heart of what we want to be as a church. And I really don't believe they get to the heart of what the Bible says is the purpose of church. In a few weeks, on July 9th, we're going to have our annual business meeting. And this year at our annual business meeting, we are going to share with you guys a new vision. It's not going to be radical. It's not going to change everything about how we do church or anything like that. But it's going to be, I think, the most important business meeting that we've ever had. Because I think maybe for the first time, we're going to lay forth a clear vision about. What we hope to be someday as a church. Since I've been the pastor of this church, I believe that we have constantly improved as a church. We have grown in our connection to one another. We have grown in numbers. We have grown in our ability to spend money in a wise and efficient way. We have grown in our impact in the community. In fact, when I was first the pastor, a pastor at Creekside, when I started working at Creekside, uh, it seemed like people knew us as the church with a piece of property, and now I think people know us for a lot more than that. We've really grown in a lot of ways, but I think it's important for us to really ask the question, what is it that we want to be? What do we want to be known for? And what is it ultimately that we are trying to accomplish? What is the purpose or the vision or the mission to use business terms? What is what is the goal of church? For me, it comes down to this. I'm wearing my Creekside Bible Church shirt and uh, I think about when I have this shirt on, I think about today anyway, uh, about different sporting teams, sports teams and and when you wear the jersey or the, uh, the fan gear of different sports teams and they come it comes with kind of a set of ideas about what those teams are like what they stand for um, you know how they play the game what they're focused on the style in which they play all of these different things like for example I am a Cowboys fan and with that kinda comes this this cultural iconic idea people that play for the Cowboys are are clean-cut they are kinda typical Southern Americans and none of those things are probably true but there's this idea that comes with it but if you think about other teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers you think a blue-collar hard-working kind of a kind of football team, they play defense and things like that and different teams come with different associations and the question for me is what do I want people to think about when they wear or see somebody wearing this shirt what is it that we want to stand for? connected to this is something that you probably could have guessed about me if you've heard any sermon, and, and that is, as I kind of look at the cultural landscape of the church in America today and during my lifetime, it really seems like something is off, like something's amiss. It seems like the church in America today doesn't have the right priorities, like there is something off. and. I've been thinking a lot about that recently. As our church has improved and grown and I've thought about the successes we've had. In some ways it seems like we haven't moved far enough away, in my opinion, from being a typical American church. And I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with being a typical American church. It's just my conviction that something is off about the focus, about the activity, and about the hearts of the average American church in America today. That's a lot of stuff in in an introduction to a sermon. What do we want to be about? What's the heart and Uh, the purpose of church in general, and, and what will separate our church, what should separate a good church from kind of the average of what happens in America today. And I think that while that's a big, three really big topics for an introduction, the passage we will look at today answers all of them. And I want to start in Ephesians 3:14 through 19 because this is a great setup for what Paul really says is the ultimate purpose of church. In Ephesians 3:14 through 19, Paul says, "For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that God, out of his glorious riches, may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being." Paul is praying for a church in Ephesus, and he reveals what he is praying for them. And in that revelation, he says, I am praying that you will be strengthened by the Spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then he says, I want you to be rooted and established in love, and I want you to know just how incredible and beyond understanding the love that Jesus has for you is. This is a prayer that I think we should pray for our church. I think for any church to be a great church, for any church to live out the callings that God has made upon church, for any church to live out the purpose of church that we're going to see in the next two verses of Ephesians. For any church to fulfill or at least attempt to fulfill the vision that God gives for His organization, the church. A church must be growing in their love of God. But that will happen only as we understand how incredible God's love is for us. Paul's saying, hey, I want you guys to be strengthened. I want you to to, to grow in your faith. I want you guys to know how incredible God's love is for you. You know, I think that, that as we move forward as a church, and as we think about the future that God has for us on this property, the future that God has for us in general as a congregation. I would hope that everything we think about, doing, everything that we desire to do, everything that we hope for would not be rooted or established in what makes us feel good or our hopes and our desires for us selfishly. It would all be rooted and established. And our love for God because we understand more and more every day how much God loves us. My hope is that as we think about our future, we think about how we can respond to the love of God. The greatest example of this love that God has ever shown or ever really will show is the love of God in Christ. The gospel story. I present the Gospel to our church almost every single week and I do that because I want those who don't know Jesus to know Jesus and and my hope every week as I preach sermons is that if anybody is listening, they would understand what it means to be a Christian. But also I hope that as I present the gospel story to our congregation each and every week, I hope that we who are already Christians, who have already accepted that gift as true, would be reminded of God's incredible love. And hopefully, every week as we gather together, we understand a little bit more how much God has loved us and we grow in our love. For God. I mean, the story that I tell every week is a story that shows the greatest of loves. We are sinners. People, humans are sinners. We do things that are bad. I mean, all you have to do is turn on the news any day of the week, any hour of the day and you are reminded of how bad we are as people. And while it's easy for us to point fingers at other people and go look at how bad they are, we all know that we do things that are wretched. We do things that are so bad we don't want anybody else to know about them. And the gospel story, the story that we as Christians believe, says God looked down, He saw that we were sinners. He saw that there was no way for us to be forgiven. He saw that there was no way for us to to be freed from that sin, to overcome that sin, to stop doing that sin. He saw that there was no way for us to avoid hell. And and he really saw that there was no way for us to have a right and good relationship with him. And so he came from heaven to earth. He walked among us. Even in the midst of all our sin. And yet he lived sinlessly. He did not do anything wrong. He did not do anything bad. He did not do anything it was against the will of God and after 33 years he was unjustly murdered upon a cross he allowed for himself to be tortured and mocked and crucified in order that we might have forgiveness for our sins that's love that's love. I mean, we we give a gift to somebody on their birthday and we feel kind of proud about love. I mean, we buy somebody lunch and we, we feel good about how we've shown love to somebody. Jesus came out of the glorious perfection of heaven to suffer the most brutal death of all time. And he did it out of love and the more we understand that love, the more we will love Him. And I believe the better the direction of our church will be. Now I haven't even got to the purpose, the vision, really what I think needs to separate us from from perhaps the average kind of church in America, from perhaps what we have been as a church in the years that I've been the pastor. I haven't even gotten to that, but before I do, just let's be so clear. I think one of the things that can make us a great church that is in line with the heart of God for His church is that we would be a church that makes all of our decisions based on our growing understanding of the incredible, amazing love that God has demonstrated to us. We can never be the church that God wants us to be if our decisions are, are driven by love for for us. I want this kind of music, or I want that kind of preaching, or I want to serve in these types of ways, or I want us to do this, or to do that, or whatever, whatever. What we want in church should simply be a response to the incredible love that we know. The incredible love of Christ. Now, with that in mind, Paul moves in to Ephesians 3.20. And then in 21, we'll read more. But in Ephesians 3.20, this is what Paul says to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his work that is at work within us. Now pause. This again doesn't get to the purpose, the heart, the vision of church, but it's so important. And it's a question that I think. It raises a question that I think all of us need to ask. But before I ask that question, let me just say this. We limit the work of God. I mean, Paul just lays it out there. He's talking about God. He's moving into what we what is called the doxology. But Paul just lays it out there and he says, look. He says, to him, God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine we limit God. Listen to how you pray sometimes. And you will soon discover, I believe, that you place limits on the power of God to work in your life. Let me just pause and say for you as an individual that, that you should really just begin to ask yourself, I mean, if you really believed that God could do more than you, that you could even possibly ask or imagine, I mean, I mean, how would your prayers be different? How would your dreams be different? How would your hopes be different? How would you live your life differently if you took to heart the words that Paul has said in Ephesians 3.20 that God can do more than you, than you can ask or, or than you can even imagine? I think that we would live very different if we truly heeded Paul's words there. Um, But that's not the subject for today. The subject for today is church. And so I'll pose those same thoughts a different way. How would our church be different if we took to heart the idea that God could do more than we could ask or imagine. I want our church to be used by God in incredible ways. Ways that we cannot even imagine. And I honestly believe that at this point, and it's partly my leadership, not blaming you as much as I'm blaming me, but I believe at this point our church limits God. The things we pray for, the things we are hoping for, the things we are dreaming of, are far too small because, I believe, they are all centered around what we believe that we can accomplish. I think that if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, that when we dream and when we pray and when we hope we must hope for things that that go beyond what we can possibly ask or imagine in our own power they must go beyond what we can actually accomplish by our own skills and by our own hard work and by our own dedication and I'm hoping in the year and the years to come that I'll do a better job in leading our church to pray things that are impossible. To pray things that sound ridiculous. Because we believe that God can do more than we can ask or imagine. Here's a question that I think we all need to ask ourselves we really think that God can do more than we can ask or imagine, how would we approach church differently? How would we approach church differently? I hope that I'll be able to answer that question more July 9th at our annual business meeting, but I I just now want to say that it is my hope, it's truly my desire, that we will become a church that does not limit God, that does not put God into the box that is created by our skills, by the people we have, by the hard work we are willing to put in, by our consistency or our diligence. I mean, I hope that we we would just smash the box and believe God to do greater things than we even know how to believe God for. And if we'll do that, then I think we can move to being a church that at least takes part in the ultimate vision that God has for church. And so before I read verse 21, look, just foundationally now, and these are not foundations I've ever Laid down before for our church. I don't think they're foundations that have ever been laid down for our church ever before in general. They are not things that I've talked about uh, before this sermon, but I think they're of the utmost importance. If we are going to be a church that moves towards fulfilling the vision, the heart, the goals that God has for church, then we must be a church that's growing in our love for Jesus as we respond to growing in our knowledge of how much Jesus loves us. And we must be a church that believes that God can do things that go beyond our wildest dreams. Now, with that in mind, listen to Ephesians 3.21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me read it again because I believe that this is the vision statement for church that God has given to church. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God's glory is a huge subject. I mean, it is a one of the biggest subjects that that is in the Bible. I mean, it, it is a part of Scripture from beginning to end. It is a constant in Scripture, but it is also something that is consistently spoken of in Scripture. It is is—it is too big of a topic for just this sermon. It's a topic that we will come back to more consistently as, as we move forward as a church. I've already planned uh, a sermon series. During the month of December, during the Christmas sermon series, uh, that will talk about the glory of God. But this morning, I want to begin with just a, a few John Piper quotes. Uh, I love John Piper. He's uh, the pastor of Bethlehem Church in Minneapolis, and 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 I've listened to his preaching a lot. I use his uh, teachings for. Some of the content in my sermons on uh, some subjects I I use him heavily because he's really into them. And I I love him and what he stands for. And I've always noticed a difference in John Piper. And as I was studying for this sermon and, and looking into the glory of God, I think that I hit on one of the reasons that I find him to be such a breath of fresh air. And I think it's that he's passionate about the glory of God. He says this, the vindication of God's glory is the ground of our salvation and the exaltation of God's glory is the goal of our salvation. He also said this, God's glory is the goal of all things. In another place he said this, God's glory is the unifying goal of history. In another place he said, God's glory is the source and sum of all full and lasting joy, and I also owe oh, this to him. He, he in a sermon said that God's glory is really hard to define because it's not something that you can see. If you asked me what a tree was, I could I could give you a description. You know, it's something that's taller than a human. It, it, when you feel it, it feels rough. The the bottom of it is circular and goes into the ground and and creates a base of sorts. And as you move up, there's there's smaller um, things that that kind of hang off of it, and and they can have different feelings. But some of them are like little needles, and and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You could describe a tree, but but to define God's glory is in John Piper's words, more like defining beauty. It's hard to do. And it can only be done as you point to enough things and say, that's beautiful, that's beautiful, that's beautiful. God's glory is hard to define. But I do believe that the best way to define it is really in terms of his holiness, God's holiness, is is what sets Him apart from every other thing and every other being. God is all powerful, and God is all knowing, and God has the ability to fe- affect every space in all the universe. And God is all loving. God is all good. He is all great. He is. He is. Beyond our understanding or comprehension. I mean, God is God and we are people. God's holiness is really what sets God apart from all of creation. God's glory, in the words of John Piper, is the manifestation of God's holiness. Really, what God's glory is is God's manifestation of His incredibly awesomeness. It's His manifestation of His Holiness. It's His manifestation of all that sets Him apart from everything that is created. We are told in the book of Romans that that God's glory is seen in creation. And in some ways, when we look at a beautiful mountain or a beautiful sunset, or we look at the world that God has created, it is part of His glory because it points to who He is as God. God's glory can be seen. And the intimate moments that we share with Him through prayer. Because He reveals to us how loving and how great He is to us. Or perhaps in the moments where He has offered us incredible forgiveness. And we we have tasted of His kindness. We go, wow, there is no love and no forgiveness like that. God's glory is even seen in the cross of Jesus. Because there He died for our sins. And it reveals just how all loving and all good God is. God's glory was seen through the resurrection because it showed how all powerful He is conquering even death. God is glorious. And God reveals that glory to us. Theologians usually talk about God's glory in two ways, and and really they are about how God that glory one is uh, often referred to as God's Shekinah glory and that is the visible glory of God And, and a lot of times we rely on what we read about in the Bible for example when God showed up in the book of Exodus in a burning fire on a mountain he was showing his holiness that was his Shekinah glory. Or oh, when God would descend upon this tent that that uh, that the Israelites would build as they wandered through the wilderness, He would descend upon that tent in a visible, powerful way. So powerful that when a guy named Moses would leave the tent, his face would glow. That's the Shekinah glory of God, the visible glory of God. Later, God would fill up the temple and he did it when the, the temple, this building that was meant for his worship and his presence, he filled the temple at its opening ceremony so powerfully in a cloud that the, the temple workers could not do their work because his presence was so thick, his glory shone so mightily. I believe that God has shown up to me and just powerful ways in my life. I've told stories about God just revealing things to me or or, or being so present that I thought I would literally see Him. God reveals Himself in those ways sometimes, but He also reveals Himself in ways that are not so easy to see. He reveals Himself in the peace that He brings, and the joy that He brings, or, or, or by r- reminding us of, of who He is in the hard times of life. But all of this points to His holiness, to who He is, to His character and His nature. I want to repeat, God is glorious. And God reveals His glory. He did that most specifically in the person of Jesus. In Hebrews 1.3 it says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sin, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in Heaven. In John 1.14 it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Jesus! was the glory of God in human form. God's glory is the essence of His nature, one author said, and we give glory to Him by recognizing that essence. Jesus was our example in this regard. While Jesus was the very glory of God himself Jesus declares that that his goal is to bring glory to the Father and now Paul shows up on the scene in Ephesians 321 and says to him be glory in the church John MacArthur says now we are to give him glory not in the sense that we add to his nature but in the sense that we give testimony to his glory that we exalt his name. God is glorious. God reveals his glory. Now notice this. The church expresses God's glory. The Bible gives ways that we can do that, in 2 Corinthians 4.15 we see that, that, that God is glorified as more people become Christians, in Philippians 1.11 it says God is glorified as we grow in righteousness, in Philippians 2.11 it says God is glorified as all acknowledge Jesus as Lord, And 1 Peter 1.7 it says God is glorified as, as we show the genuineness of our faith through trials, in First 1 Corinthians 10.31 it says, that, that we should do all including eating and drinking for the glory of God. God is glorious. God reveals His glory. It is the church's job to express God's glory. When people think about our church, when they see somebody around town wearing one of our t-shirts or drinking out of one of our coffee cups my hope is that they would not say hey you guys have property my hope is not first and foremost that they would say wow, you guys do a great job of serving the community, or wow, you guys are super loving when people show up on a Sunday morning, or wow, you guys have great preaching, or wow, you guys have great music, or... uh, My hope is that when people hear the name Creekside Bible Church, they would say, those people have an insatiable desire to express the glory of God. To show the world how glorious God is. As I've pondered what I want our church to be, what I want the future of our church to look like, and I've thought about my discontent with, with what I've seen in my church experiences and what I see in the average American church today, I think it all boils down to the fact that the vision of most churches, including, I think, our own, has been almost entirely man-centered. It's been driven by a desire to see people reached. It's a good thing. It's been driven by a desire to see people grow. It's been driven by a desire to see more and more people in our churches. It's been driven by a desire to see people. And then you can fill in the blank after that. But what Paul says here is that the vision of church should be driven by a desire to see God glorified. In series we've said that the church is not ours, it's His. And in this passage what we see is the church is His glorifier. It's His glory on earth. Someday we're going to build a building here. And I hope that when we lay a foundation and we start to put up walls and we put seats in and we put a roof over it, probably not in that order. I hope that all of it is done for the glory of God. But long before that, starting this morning, and especially after July 9th when we have our business meeting, I hope that we will run every single decision, every single attitude, every single new ministry, every single desire, every single hope through the lens of whether or not it will express the glory of God when I think about our future it's my hope that we will be a church that grows in our knowledge of how much Jesus loves us and we would we would begin Out of that love, to to just say, Wow, Jesus, you love us, and we believe that you can do more than we can possibly imagine. And so, God, we will do everything that we can do to express your glory everywhere. The church is his glory, and I want to be a church that expresses His glory. I hope, I really do, that you will make a decision to be a part of that. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, as I stand out on this property, I just ask that we would be a church that is driven by a desire to see you glorified, Lord, because we know how much you have done for us Where you stepped out of glory to live as a servant, to live as a human, and then you died for us. And God, because we know that you rose again and entered into glory, and God, we also know that you did all that so that we someday could be glorified and go to heaven. I pray that that because of all those things and our knowledge of those things, We, God, would want nothing more than to bring you glory. Lord, I'm sorry that we have been a church that is too man-centered. Lord, you know that I felt some guilt about preaching too many sermons that are focused on us and not on you. God, you know that I'm sorry that I have preached too many sermons where I have not included your gospel story. The story that reminds us of your incredible love and reminds us of why we ought to glorify you. And I pray, God, that as we move forward from this day forward, that we would always be a church growing in your love, asking, seeking, praying for things that go beyond our abilities. All because we want nothing more, God, than to express your glory. Jesus, let us be a church that expresses your glory. Let us be a church that expresses your glory. And Lord, I pray that when people think about Creekside Bible Church, they would think about a church that wants to glorify you more than anything else. Pray these things in your name. Amen.